vital connections, uh, building authentic uh, community. And in large part, this is driven by a larger kind of push in the life of our church that feeling like through COVID and politics and all of the things that have happened in the last several years, that we've become kind of separated and disconnected from one another. Uh, and, and Scripture is clear in its teaching about the importance of our connectedness. Uh, it, it, we, we can be isolated, and when we get isolated, then we get divided. When we get divided, all of a sudden, we're not really the body of Christ. So my perspective now is it's time. It's time to come back to what God wants to do and how the church is supposed to exist together uh, in love for one another. And we have a memory verse. Uh, so let's, let's say this together, okay? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, John 13, 34. And, and the love part, and I want you to recognize the word one another and one another because we're going to talk about that word uh, a little later on. Um, but the, the first Sunday, we kind of talked about this particular text, and we talked about how this was a command. This is the 11th commandment. So from now on, if somebody asks you about the Ten Commandments, say, no, there are 11, because Jesus gave us one extra one on the end of that. It'll confuse the tar out of them, and you'll get to tell them about love one another, okay? Uh, so we talked about how important that was, uh, and this is the foundation upon which he builds his church, upon which he builds everything, is this loving one another. It's how people will know that we are followers of him. And then last week, we talked about kind of the, the, how that looks, and it's kind of like oneness, that we would be one, that the final prayer of Jesus uh, over his followers was, Lord, make them one. Of all the things he could have prayed for, he prayed that we would be one, which means it's really, really, really important. But it also raises this question, how do we create oneness? How, how, how do you make that, that happen? Um, and so this morning, uh, the writer to the Hebrews gives us a pretty good answer on that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 22 through 55. There's a Bible in front of you or on your app or however you would do that. And I will also put it on the screen as we go along. So um, what's going on in this passage for your context is that uh, the writer has been talking about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. This eternal hope that we can be in relationship with Jesus uh, and that we can love one another, that we can do these things that he asks us to do, uh, and that one day we will all be together in, in heaven because our sins have been washed away. Amen? Yeah. If you could really see the spiritual realm, you have all, all of you have on your forehead a big old stamp that says, paid in full for all of the things of the past. So look around. See if you can see anybody's head. No, don't look around. See if you can see anybody's head. But... Um, so uh, what we're going to talk about today, uh, the book of Hebrews is written to a Jewish community, uh, and so you're going to need to understand a little bit of Jewish theology, and so I'm going to dig into that a little bit as we kind of are, are walking through it. But let's jump in. Uh, verse 22, uh, let us draw near to God after all this hope stuff uh, with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There's a whole ton of, of theology uh, in that piece uh, right there. Uh, so, uh, but the, the idea is a couple of things here. Draw near uh, the idea of drawn near literally means to, to uh, come close to, to, to move in on uh, one another. And it's an idiom not just for physical closeness, but for emotional closeness, right? For spiritual closeness. So he's not just telling you, draw near to God, because how do you do that physically? I don't know. Where is God? God's everywhere. God's, yeah. So, so it's actually an emotional kind of uh, piece of it here. But it does tell us this. Um, 
The first step in creating oneness is to move closer to Jesus. When oneness breaks down, it's often because we have moved away from Jesus. Because the closer you move to Jesus, the more you love one another, the more you understand the importance of the body of Christ together. Because this isn't about something you do, it's about a relationship you have with people. And so moving closer to Jesus makes it much easier to move close to other people. And, and, and you get this. You all, if you have children, adult children especially, and I have a couple of adult children, we want that they would get along with one another, that they would love one another, that they would be close to one another. Amen? So it makes perfect sense that God would want that of his children as well. That he would want us to connect with one another, to love one another, to care for one another. And so when you move closer to Jesus, when you become more like him, you see the importance uh, of all of that. Okay? But what you really need to know about this is the idea of moving closer to God to a first century Jew would have been, it would have been crazy for them, that idea. Because their understanding of God, we live in, in, in the, the draw close to Jesus and Jesus loves me. How many of you grew up with Jesus loves me, this I know? Yes, great theology, great theology. But for a first century Jew, when they thought about God, they thought about scary. You remember when Moses came out in Mount Sinai, the first thing is God spoke to them. They're all like, no, 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 he's too loud. Ah!" You know, and and so Moses had to go up and do that. And there's all these stories of this fierce kind of God. There's a story where someone reached out to touch the Ark of the Covenant because it was starting to fall and got killed, right? We're all like, what is that story all about? And so it's kind of baked into their understanding of this. And so I want to do, again, help you again, get a little grasp on how a Jew would think about this. So this is a kind of a picture of the holy, of holies on the inside and in the court here. And um, you can see these bells that are around the bottom there of their thing. So once a year, the great high priest uh, would go into the holy of holies. He would open the curtain and go into this place. And you have to understand, they believed that this is the place when God revealed himself that he would show up. He would show up in the Holy of Holies. And so this was a big deal to go into this place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the high priest would go in there and he would burn some incense and he would take the blood of the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, that area between the two, literally on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, they did a couple of things that were important to them. Like I said, they would put bells around the bottom of his, his clothing that when he moved would, would ring. And then they would do another thing. They would actually tie a rope to one of his legs. And so when he went in there, there would be a rope trailing off because they believed if God showed up and you saw the face of God, you would die. So now you understand the rope because you've got a dead priest in there and nobody's going, I ain't going in and getting him. Uh-uh, that body's in there. And so you can imagine what it was like when the, the, once a year they would go in there, the, the priest, the high priest goes in kind of with fear and trembling and all of that and kind of doing his thing. I think I'd be going quick. Okay, burn the incense, get it going. Yeah, thank God, out I'd go, you know. But you can imagine if they're listening to him, they're hearing the bells kind of tinkle around as he's moving and all of a sudden they hear a lot of tinkling and a thump and then quietness. And you get on the rope and you start pulling the guy out of there, right? You know, that's, that's how that worked. So you can see how the idea of getting close to that God would seem like, oh my goodness, you know? And if, if he wasn't pure and they didn't do the sacrifices right, all, all of that could, could happen to them. So the writer to Hebrews wants to dispel this idea of this big angry God that if you mess up, he's going to zap you. 
And so he does. Verse, uh, uh, continuing in the verse, since our hearts are full of assurance and faith, brings faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Remember what I told you the priest did with the blood of the, 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 uh, the, blood of the sacrifice? He sprinkled it on the altar. Ooh, I almost hit somebody here. Flying off. They sprinkled it on the altar because it symbolized the purity that happened. They believed that the blood made you pure spiritually. And so what the author is alluding to here is the idea that Jesus was the final sacrifice. And his blood makes us pure and clean that washes away our sins and makes us able to come into the presence of God without worrying about the fact that he's going to strike us down. And so this would have been a great comfort to those early Christians who were coming out of of Jewish theology to think about the fact it's not about your worthiness. A whole bunch of you should have said amen. I know enough about your stories because if it's about your worthiness, none of us are making it, amen? Okay, that's just the truth of the matter. None of us are making it on our own worthiness. And so when it says that we're sprinkled with the blood of, blood of Christ, we know that, that, that he is there, that we have been purified, that we can come into his presence, and that, that he welcomes us. In fact, it turns the whole way of understanding kind of up on its ear from, from a fearful God to a God who says, come on in, I want to be a part of you. In fact, you'll remember when Jesus died on the cross, several things happened. But one of them, maybe the most important one, was that this curtain was literally torn from the top down, opening us to the presence of God. God invites you into his presence. And, and then there's, there's another kind of part of this that, that's really good. It says our bodies were washed. That's a reference to baptism. So you will notice that we do not use blood sprinkled on things in worship. Everybody think that's a good idea that we don't do that, you know? What we do is we baptize. And that's the, the, the covenant life coming into the covenant. You're dead and you're raised to new life and the water is a symbol of the fact that it has washed you. And there's this kind of standing joke in our church that my very last time here, the very last time I do a baptism before I retire, I'm putting some dish soap in the baptismal and we're going to have bubbles, okay? Because I just think that would be, because it's a great symbol of the, of the cleansing. And so that's what's uh, kind of being talked on there. So having this, having this great gift of being able to come into the presence of the living God. Think about that. The living God, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke worlds into being, the one who masters and run, runs everything. He invites you into, into your presence, okay? That's a great gift. That's a great hope that we have. So the next verse now, he says, let us hold unswerving to the hope we profess to that thing that has been given us. For he who promised is, is faithful to us. Uh, and so um, some po- folks, I think, struggle with this, this part of it uh, because, here's what I want you to know about this, uh, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess uh, in, in one another. And that word unswervingly there, that word's a really kind of powerful word. It carries the idea of holding on to something that someone is trying to take away from you. So this isn't just carrying it around in your hand, you know. This is the idea, you've got it, and someone's going to try and pull it out of your hands. And like I said, there are people in this world today that have made it their mission in life to steal your hope, okay? These are the kind of people, they walk into the room and they just suck the joy right out of it. How many of you know somebody like that? Don't look around, okay? We all have, have met that kind of thing. So I've been trying to figure out how to illustrate that idea, and this is the best I can come up with. See that? He's holding onto the ball with two hands, you know? You didn't know there was a connection between football and spirituality, did you? There is, right there. And they, they try and steal it, and he's got, you see how big his muscles are just so he can hold on to that ball? That's what's being talked about here. 
Don't, don't get discouraged. Don't let people and, and all the things that they do try to, to steal your hope. And so here's the idea. People and circumstances will try to steal your hope. Amen? Hold on to that. Wrap your arms around it. Protect it because they're all out there. People that want to discourage you. Circumstances that happen in your life that are discouraging. And the devil comes along and whispers in your ear and says, God doesn't care. Or God doesn't exist. Or God isn't with you because you sinned. That's one of the great ones. You did this thing, so now God's punishing you. Do you remember the verse we just read about the blood of Jesus Christ? So that whole, you've sinned, so now God is punishing you. That's a lie. Straight out of hell. Amen. You understand that? It's his blood. It's his blood that washes us and purifies us of this. So hold on. Hold on. So why should we hold on? Because he who promised is faithful. Here is a great truth uh, in life. A promise is only as good as the person who makes it. Amen? Because there are people that will promise you stuff, but they are not trustworthy, and they're going to break their promise. And even in, even in just the normal things of life, a, a couple of times in my life, I've bought things that had lifetime guarantee on them. Maybe it's a lifetime guarantee. And when I was young, I thought that meant my lifetime. No, it doesn't. It means the lifetime of the company, and by the time it breaks, the company's out of business, right? It's like, Ey! I fell for that a couple of times. So the uh, first time is understandable. I'm not sure why I fell for it again. But anyway, we won't go there. Uh, but here's the, here's the deal. The, the promise is only as good as the one who makes it. And what the writer is telling to us is Jesus made the promise, and he is faithful. So this promise, it can't be broken. It'd never be broken because Jesus is the one that, that made it in, in our lives. So, good news. So here's the next part then. The good news is, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good works. This is one of my favorite verses just because of the Greek, okay? And I know I'm getting a little geeky on it, but it's just such a, a, a good thing that's on there. So let's break it down, okay? So it starts with love and good deeds. This is what we are to be doing. We are to be loving people and doing good deeds. <laughs> Not quick enough. We'll be loving people and doing good deeds. Yes. yes. Uh, and these are practical things. The word carries the idea of, of practical uh, things for us. Okay? Uh, and so uh, Jesus did that. It's an example. He, went, he didn't just love people with words. He went out and did stuff to make uh, a difference in, in our lives. So then the next word is consider. And this word actually is the idea of, of hyper-focusing. It's not just casually thinking about something. It's really working on it. It's like if you've got a really big problem and you just can't get it off your mind. You're thinking about, how am I going to do that? What I got to do? You gotta, you know. Any of you ever done that where you just can't get something out, out of your mind? That's kind of what this is. It's consider. So that's really good. And here's the reason I really like this verse. Uh, we are to consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. What do you think of when you think of the word spur? Horse? Yeah, a horse and they kick it. Yeah. What? Cowboy, is that what you said? Yeah, cowboy. Those sorts of things. That's really good. Let me give you what the real scholars, kind of how they define the Greek word that gets to this incite, incitement, irritation. And the root word carries the idea of sharp or sharpen something to stimulate. In other words, sharpen something to poke somebody with, spur on, urge to irritate, provoke, provoke make and make angry, exasperate. We get to provoke each other, poke each other with sticks in order to do good, love and good deeds. Praise God. 
See why I love Scripture, you know? It's like, be more loving. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to get me a sharp stick when I preach this version of it. <laughs> I just, I love it because it is this idea that he's really not kidding about this love and good deeds kind of thing, you know? I don't know, maybe there's a context that, you know, lesson that a little bit, but the word is actually very, very strong about this idea of, of we are to, to encourage one another. Say, one another, okay? So it's not just that you get to poke others, it's that others get to poke you too, so be careful how you poke, right? <laughs> On toward love and good deeds, and here's the message of that. In order to walk the Christian faith the way Christ would have us to do it, we need each other. And we may need some people that encourage us when it's hard. Now, not everybody can speak truth into your life, but we all need some people that speak truth into our lives. Amen? Some people, honestly, that can poke us, create a little pain for us in order to get us on the right track. And I've shared this before, but when I, I was young, uh, words are my thing. We were young adults in a church with a bunch of young adults. I was a lay person. We had a great group of people. We had a, a, a life group back before life groups were popular. This is the early 80s. Um, and I had a really good friend that was a part of that group. We got, grew very close. We were having kind of babies. Everybody's having babies. Uh, Jeff. And Jeff was my best friend, uh, still good friend. Um, and we had this kind of thing that we would guys do where you kind of you bond by making fun of each other. You kind of make comments, you know. And I have a good a friend before that he called me ugly. I called him smelly. It was a high school thing. I don't know. But one day, Jeff came to me in this kind of context of this, and he said, Craig, I need to talk to you. And he kind of, I could tell he was kind of like, uh, you know, and uh, he said, you know how we kind of joke with each other and the people in the group and all of that, and we kind of make fun of each other? He said, yeah, yeah, I love doing that. He said, I know you love doing that. He said, but sometimes your comments cut, and they hurt, and you go too far. That was really hard for me to hear, because words are my thing. And then it dawned on me, words are my thing. So it's not surprising that my words cut more and hurt more. And as hard as that poke was to get from Jeff, it changed the trajectory of my life in some ways because I became very conscious about being very careful. And I still to this day, when I have somebody I'm close to and we're joking around, I have to be very careful or I'll say something that goes too far that's too hurtful. It's just a part of who I am. It's a discipline in my life. Some of you don't have that. You have other disciplines in your life, but that's for me. I needed somebody to spur me in that moment. I don't need somebody to spur me every day, <laughs> but I needed somebody to spur me in that moment that loved me enough, that we were close enough in community and connection with one another, that, that they could do that. So do not give up. Here's what he goes on to say. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another uh, one another again, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So a couple of things here. Meeting together. Uh, I grew up in the church, and every time I heard this particular passage preached, it came down to this. Hey, you better stop skipping church and start showing up on Sunday morning. That's not what it was talking about at all. In the first century, they could rarely get together in large groups. When they talked about the church, they were almost always talking about house church, what we sometimes call circle church, okay? This, the groups that would get together, and every once in a while, Paul or somebody would come through, and they would find a space to get the whole large group together. And that was a great moment, and it was for great preaching, teaching kinds of moments. But the vast majority of the time, they met in circles in their homes. And their homes weren't very big, so it couldn't be a lot of people. 
So when he talks about this, when he talks about we need each other and then don't give up meeting together, he's talking about meeting together in a small group or a life group or a connection group or whatever you want to call it in a group. Say group. Yeah, getting together in in that context, some of them had kind of moved away from that. Uh, And so that's what he's he's talking about when he says that uh, there. So um, when these words were written, meeting together meant circles, not rows. You understand the difference between circles and rows? We had a whole series we kind of talked about this. You are sitting in rows right now, right? You're looking at me, I'm looking at you, and for the most part, I'm talking and you're listening, okay? Uh, And rows are a large venue kind of thing. Circles are what happens in small groups. You sit around the the couches and chairs or whatever, and and you can see one another and you can talk to one another. And so I believe, and Scripture teaches, that circles are better than rows, Say, circles are better than rows. I know there's a couple of you that are like, no, I like rows better. I saw a sign this morning. So that was, that was pretty cool because you knew what was coming in all of this. But circles are better than rows because of this reason. Learning happens in rows. You can take notes, you get data, you learn about the text. But life happens in circles. You understand that? You know, family is a circle. You sit around a table. You, you do life together. Rows are great for taking notes and gathering data and facts and information. Rows, but rows are a monologue. I'm talking, you're listening. Circles are when we all talk and we all listen. It's not a lecture format. It's about listening to and caring for one another. Circles are better than rows. Say that. Yes, and here's why. Spiritual health and growth require face-to-face connections. Spiritual health and growth require face-to-face connections. Rose, you can learn about health, but in circles, you can do it. You do it together. Rose require very little buy-in, but circles require us to be, here's a dirty word, vulnerable with one another. It's hard when we do that. So here's what we do when we meet together, it says. When you meet together, encourage one another. I'm glad that he put this in here after spur, right? Because after spur, you need a little encouraging, okay? And you need to encourage one another. And I want to introduce this word. We've, we've said it before, but I want to bring it back because it's so important, okay? Uh, the one another word, uh, in the original language, the word uh, is, is the word for groups. In Greek is alelon, say alelon, yeah, and it's translated one another, and it carries the idea of people that you are, you are connected to, uh, that you care about, uh, that, that, that are important uh, to you in so many different ways. And so, alelon, say alelon again, right? One another. Uh, and, and here's the really thing that, that's cool about that. The word alelon appears over a hundred times in the New Testament. See how important that is, that, they, that we do this, that we be connected with one another uh, in, in our lives, that we care about one another. It, it's reciprocal. It's mutual. Love one another. Love one another. Amen. Say, love one another. Love one another. Yeah. And around here, we, it's belonging or my people, or here's the word we use, family. <laughs> you catch it on. One more time. Framly, yeah, connectedness with, with one another. So the way we create vital connections is by building authentic community. And building means it takes time and it's hard and you got to work. Any of you ever built anything in your life? 
come on, all of you, and build something. It just takes time. There's a certain amount of work, and building authentic community will be work. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, but authenticity, that's the scary word. Because it's, it's not scary like Halloween is scary. It's scary because it requires us to be vulnerable. And vulnerable is, if I share this, I don't know what people will think of me. Man, we place a lot of pieces on that. It puts at risk the perception of others. You pray people will reject you. In fact, here's what we think will happen if we're vulnerable with other people. A building, authentic, here we go. <laughs> right? You know? If I share that, someone's going to go, oh! you know? Oh, no, look at that person. But I'm telling you, it doesn't really work like that. Like I said, Jody and I, have been in, in life groups, small groups, since before they were popular. Way back in the 80s, we were doing this uh, when life groups kind of came out of um, a church in Portland. Uh, so here's what I know, and here's what I've experienced. Authentic community is life-giving. In my experience, when you share something personal, a group, much the group of people that love and care for you, they do not go, <gasps> in fact, most often in my experience, what they think is, well, that's nothing. Mine's way worse than that you know, because we all have this stuff. And so I think it's important that we find a way to come together. In fact, the early church in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, it lists the things they did, and one of the things they did was they met in each other's homes. In fact, they met daily in each other's homes. Aren't you glad we're not legalists? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you got to meet daily, but I think it's important that you have a group of support, the people that you can be honest with, that, that you can do life together, that you can be connected to. And so as we come to the end here, and we're going to sing in just a minute if our, our worship team uh, could come, I, I just, I'm, I'm putting this in your court. We need each other. We need to be connected, and we need to be in rows, and we need to be in circles, Right? And so we're going to uh, have a time of, uh, together with the music as we sing and, and time of prayer. If you'd like to pray here at the altar at the front or at the, the benches in front, or if you would like to pray with us, if we could. Um, do we have one of our Debbie, would you be willing to, are you in a spot to help with the women? Uh, so if you'd like somebody to pray with you, we would be happy to do that as well. Uh, so I would encourage you, you sing along or, or just pray. But ask the Lord this question that I keep coming back to. What is Jesus asking you to do with what you've heard today? Not anybody else. What is Jesus asking you to do with what you've heard today? Father God, Lord, I know that this is important. And I know it's hard to work it into our schedules and we fear vulnerability and we're not sure we're going to get along with the people and, and all of that. But I pray, Father, that you would build this into our church. Help us, Father, to become a church not just with small groups, but of small groups, Father. That like the early church, we would see our connectedness to one another as essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, Father. Help us to be a church, certainly with rows, but also with circles, Father, that give life in everything we do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.